Could you spare some pennies? I didn't even spare you. Tonight, we're going to dive right into human nature and the family of blood. Now, we've already done this episode. Boy, this is deja vu. And, uh, <laughs> we've already, I know. We've already done this episode with Jeremy, but we decided that we'd get Shelby, Jace, and Colin's opinion because it's just, I think it's an important episode in Doctor Who lore, and it's just and, worth it. And our opinions matter a lot more than Michael and Jeremy's. <laughs> Ouch. Sorry, Jeremy. <clears throat> and sorry, Michael. <laughs> it's okay. We it's okay. You. You, you can we let it all out. Way. We can blame it on the dramatic You also episode. have an important perspective. <laughs> uh-huh. You have yeah. value. Wrong <laughs> uh, examples are very important. any rate, um, I think we should dive right into the characters in this story because there's so many of them. Um, uh, and I, I wanted to start off with um, Thomas Sangsters. Uh, he was, of course, the actor from Love Actually. Um, Tim Latimer. Oh, okay. Tim Latimer. Start with a character name, because that was just confusing. (laughs) Yep, sorry. Well, I was trying to go with the actor, too, because I thought that was kind of a cool thing that he was in this. Oh, yeah, and so I love that kid in both things I've seen him in. Yeah. Yeah. Do you love him actually? Actually. I think I've seen him in something else, too, and he's really Probably, good. but he's he's really good actor. Yeah. One of those kid actors of the time, a Haley Joel Osment, that you know, just fades into obscurity after he, <laughs> after he gets older. puberty age. <laughs> Any rate, um, Tim Latimer is, I think, uh, a really good start starting point because it seems like, as you pointed out, Shelby, what happens? The TARDIS possibly... Oh, well, sorry, your prompting took caught me off guard. Um, it's okay. I, I was thinking that, you know, it almost seems like the TARDIS intentionally brought the doctor there because, you know, she thought it might be helpful to have a psychic around who could potentially hear the doctor's fog watch, you know, or the doctor through the watch. Yeah, definitely. Um, any rate, but this is this was a kid that was kind of introduced in the in this two part and obviously he's kind of more mysterious he's almost as mysterious as the doctor in some ways because he is he has powers he just yeah. it's some sort of luck yes he he obviously points out something about Philip's family in Africa uh, and and he shouldn't have known that because nobody ever told him this so it's kind of interesting. yeah and, and, and Phillips was just reading the letter like right then exactly yeah creepy almost as creepy as like living scarecrow. Yeah, or the... 
Well, that kind of brings us to Jeremy Baines and the family. Uh, of course, Harry Lloyd plays Jeremy Baines. We need to hang on, hang on. If we're still talking about Tim Ladmer, can we, can we run through his whole sure. arc? I thought it was an amazing little arc that, you know, the psychic visions he got during this whole experience was, like, led him to see the moment when he and, you know, um, Phillips were supposed to actually die in World War One, and he managed to save them both. Yes, definitely. And he and and clearly outranked um, Phillips too by then. Yeah, it's kind of funny seeing someone so small outrank. Well, and someone who you know was was <laughs> so young, bullied and considered inadequate. And speaking so of bullying, Colin, you had a comment on that one. Did I now? Oh my goodness! Oh, your your referencing is catching me off guard. <laughs> Um, but yeah, what I, I thought was interesting here is just the other character that was introduced here that has a familiar face to us, John Smith. A generic <laughs> name for quite an extraordinary human who almost is not a human. This, of course, is the doctor, uh, doctor's incarnation of actually being a human, his own human nature, where we see him very casually um, just giving the order to, oh, of course, you can go ahead and beat Latimer. It seems, seems <laughs> abs. <laughs> I guess it was realistic for the times, or at least for the school. Well, everyone, everyone there seemed to act like it was a totally normal thing. Yeah. Not not that I guess John Smith really was uh, a, a suggesting that this happened, and he just allowed it. Yeah, and thought nothing of it. Yeah, well, because, yeah, it's just what happens. I mean, well, he certainly granted the permission to go ahead and do it, and it was kind of like a distraction from class otherwise, it seemed like. <laughs> And then we have the character uh, Joan Redford, played by the wonderful and beautiful Jessica Hines. What a marvelous performance. Yes. She was a very strong and, you know, lovely character. She's she, okay. <laughs> she's okay. Well, I, I really like the interaction between her and John Smith. Like, they really had chemistry, and it really obviously shows the doc, well, a little... Not really the doctor, but John Smith's inability to court. It was a sweet old-fashioned love story. <laughs> what do you think about John? I don't know who that is. That, that's the nurse that John Smith falls in love with. Oh, I mean, I felt like she was a very strong personality because I saw the doctor just being like this really weak, like frail human. I feel like she was kind of probably like the rock in the relationship. Which is interesting, because typically we see the doctor take charge of everything, but he's just like a little stupid boy in love, which is cute. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, you also got to figure it makes sense that he would have picked a job and, you know, a location and, and everything and a personality to try to force himself to not take charge of situations, because that would just lead to him, you know, getting his memory back or whatever. It makes sense. But I thought that dynamic was a very salient part of this episode, just seeing... Uh, David Tennant take on somewhat of a weaker, you know, more human-esque role than this great embodiment that is the Doctor, you know, in the center of time and space and knowing all of these things. But at the same time, we see a lot of him bleeding through. He has his memories and these dreams of being the Doctor in a lot of ways. And then he has this epic moment where he does a rude Goldberg action with a cricket ball to save a woman and her child. That's actually a, uh, a, the cricket ball is actually a nod to the fifth doctor, who is also very big on cricketing. What I kind of felt about that scene, like, first of all, it was a really cool scene. 
but also he was like going through a whole speech during the time like while he was noticing this woman coming up and the piano gonna fall like there was plenty of time for him to shout to her like stop <laughs> the piano's gonna fall <laughs> <laughs> but he's gotta be more epic than that right well yeah I mean he is the doctor at the end of the day <laughs> and I mean he saw the cricket ball being played with so he's just like here let me just do this and of course it's just a succession of different events that take place in order to prevent this woman from being crushed by a piano. Well, they do say, you know, like muscle memory and stuff, if you get amnesia, you tend to retain, uh, you know, your ability to, like, do different physical acts. But then, like, also, he was popping out the, or where did you learn to draw? Gallifrey. <laughs> oh, yeah, it must be in Ireland. <laughs> right. It's just, like, how much of that stuff, like, kept with him, or, you know, is he rewritten? as a human in the same vein like he is in a time war. Like, the Doctor is a pretty exceptional time war. Is this just an exceptional human parallel, you know, that's being made? Or, you know, is it really a lot of the Doctor's personality, the Doctor's knowledge leading forth into human form? Well, think about it. I mean, if he had the inclination, wouldn't the Doctor be a perfect teacher of military strategy and execution? I mean, he does have amazing knowledge of it. It's just... The fact that he doesn't he want to do that shot. is the main, you know, reason that he doesn't. Like, he obviously would be good at it. So it kind of makes sense. And that kind of suggests that there's more of the doctors next to him. Moving on, um, Martha befriends this person, Jenny, when she becomes this maid at this school. And, of course, Martha has to go on her own journey. Um, she starts off on the journey with Jenny. Of course, they're talking, and Martha has to deal with being a black woman in 1913 as a maid in the school. And that's something that's new and kind of uh, refreshing to see in a Doctor story. You like, you like those uh, oppressive episodes? Yeah, I was about to say something really <laughs> yeah. exciting, that amazing. Like, like, I love No, no, no. It's, it's a refreshing to see that the writing actually takes on this the, challenge the, because she's a black woman in 1913. It, it, there's a little bit of a different mindset at that point. I would be right. so bad. I would be so mad if like the doctor put me through this and just put me in that time period as For a black person. For three months. Yeah. I mean, it was only two, but like... They planned it for three months. Yeah, couldn't they go to, like, the 2020s or something? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe not 2020. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Well, he should come to 2020. Maybe he's the reason all this is happening somehow. That was 1913. Yeah. At least I could hug people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think more so, you know, Martha showed in this episode, huh? Like she, oh my god, she, she was, was the one that carried it and really saved the day throughout the whole first episode and pretty much all of the second. She was the driving force to getting the doctor his identity back and really saving the day and taking care of the family. And to Jason's point, I mean, that was, like, a really rough situation she went through, and she went through it, like, uncomplaining and, like, diligent and never lost sight of, you know, her purpose or got depressed or anything. And, like, she was really exceptional in it. And, you know, it kind of also goes with my theory that Martha is always better when the doctor is not there. But the doctor was around. You know, kind like, of. But also, like, I, I found that whole thing kind of uh, interesting, too. Like, how much of her memories were retained at the beginning, and how much did she I think Martha get knew, over time? I think Martha knew what was going on the whole time. The whole she, was just, she was just acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah definitely. it definitely seemed like she did. It had some other 
errors, but you know, there's some times where it's like going back thinking about what happened in the past. I think that, that it like made it seem like something more connected, you know, to me. So I was interested to see. Oh, you mean when they, I think they were just doing that for dramatic yeah. effect. I think this episode also uh, speaks boldly towards the progression that Martha goes through through a whole series where she starts off really kind of falling for the doctor and then she goes through some serious emotional issues because he's rejecting her and, and thinking of Rose. And then at this point, he's falling in love with yet another human. So she either can be really uptight and and just give up on the doctor or in this case, she became, she remains loyal and she... She just sticks it through. She realizes that her emotions are involved because she sees the doctor enjoying this woman, but or actually John Smith. But at the same point, she's she's like, no, I've got to take care of the doctor. He's still my responsibility. This is, I. She just keeps her loyalty. Yeah, she was. She did a great job, and I think also it was you know she kind of has to resign herself at this point because she had the doctor in a totally different situation you know, with her and doesn't remember Rose at all and still he fell in love with someone else and not her. Yeah, that's a tough position for her to be in. Like, really, this whole episode is like... Everything she went through was just, like, brutal and she just held her head up high the whole time. She really had to trust the doctor on this one. What did y'all think of the um, alien menace, the family? Oh, the family. At first, when I was coming in, I thought this was the return of the Slovene, you know? (laughs) Because that's, that's, that's my favorite villainous family of the, of the early reboot of Doctor Who days. Oh, help plus, us, please. Plus, I'm not even convinced that it's not, you know, some future incarnation of the family. Because they come through, and that green smoke that inhabits um, these other characters and possesses them. Slovene green. Exactly. <laughs> Slovene green. Coincidence? I, crayon. I think it's so, more so like are, are you saying that the family or, like, species like that took over... The creatures from Mexico from Felicitorius and you know the Slovene family and, and potentially yeah. I mean they they like to pose as humans they they come they like, and, you know, fart her. well they didn't fart but they like put themselves in costume and they were they were scared was that a yeah, there so, was there was a lot of farting noises now we see them as an incarnation of gas coincidence <laughs> oh my god okay I don't remember any farting noises but um, well when there was a farting there was a gas so it was like the butt before and then the gas after oh like I see the gas the going into uh, Jenny or maybe yeah. they're Jenny's from the part. past they are the gas that's about to go inside the Slytherin and then cause the farting. A little far-fetched, perhaps, but, you know, my mind was going there. I, I, I don't think that, that that was the plan of this. <laughs> well, I like I, actually, I did think it was kind of a cool concept, though, of having, you know... I mean, they did have a nod to the Slovene, too. We saw them imaged right there they on were paper. so cute. This is true. We had a lot of nods to the past, including past incarnations of the Doctor in the impos- in the Journal of Impossible Things, which you can buy on, by the way. Um, but I, not that I'm trying to advertise it. Anymore. Yeah, I'm like, what are you supposed to do? Like, are you going to me to make one? No, no, you can actually purchase the actual Impossible Journal. I can, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, sounds very like a possible journal. <laughs> yeah, true, very possible. <laughs> Anyway, so, but Jenny and Jeremy and uh, Mr. Clark and, of course, little Lucy are all taken yeah, over. The unnecessarily the... creepy girl with the one red balloon. Always carrying that it, one red it, balloon. It, I mean, come on. Or, all right, can, can, we, can we talk about 
these like how these characters got punished because I thought that they were all very interestingly horrible. That was so dark though. He literally tortured these things for all of eternity. Well, the doctor tried to well, give the them. Well, the were just puppets. You know what this reminded me a lot of Saw. It reminded me of Saw because it's just like okay. You have this challenge. My life depends on you. Because he was, like, in the screen, and then it ended with, like, people being like, okay, you're getting what you wanted, but there's a twist to it. A lot like Saw. I can't remember specific examples, but, like, I kept watching this and kept thinking well, Saw, when they, Saw, it, Saw. And then he was just like, they, we wanted to live forever, so the doctor made sure that we did. Exactly. Like, that's very Saw-like. So who do you think had the worst punishment? Like, I didn't understand how the... One like with dad, how that father made him? Yeah, father of mine. How did how did his make him live forever? What was his again? He was bound in a change made from chains made from a dwarf star and then thrown into a pit. Uh, not a pit. It was I think kind of like this time field that just oh, kind gotcha. of suspended him and, and gave him put him in suspended animation. Yeah, um, mother of mine got thrown into a black. Hole, so she's stuck on the event horizon for all eternity. That one sounds pretty awful because you're yeah. always you're always basically exploding and imploding all at the same time. Yeah, getting yeah, stretched out like spaghetti. Killed immediately about. with someone existing there. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, I think she got the worst. Day. I think she did too. I think Jeremy yeah. probably comes in second though because taking a nap. Yeah, I, I think the girl got the best out of it, and she was the most like vicious little spy too she, she caused like the most havoc of all of them she really. actually killed people she actually killed the one guy yeah and like she definitely got off the easiest like did the, because she looks like a did father guy. of mine ever actually kill anyone uh no i don't think so but he, he all his henchmen did all uh, all those scarecrows I mean, all the scarecrows were following of son of mine he was the one controlling them. well yeah he was the one that created them actually but actually, to let's talk about them. The Scarecrows were the monster of the week, and they actually, I thought, turned out quite well. It's oh, yeah, I think idea. so. Well, yeah, because they but didn't I have like any them. strength to them or whatever, but, yeah, it's definitely pretty creepy, and for a psychological effect, it certainly, you know, I thought very much Batman. It just, if they seem kind of useless, like, what are they going to well, do? Well, no, but I'm saying they, they scare the enemy, perhaps. They're going to grab people, bring them back to the ship, and... Waste their ammunition. True, it's just weird. They can come back to life. It doesn't really make sense that they were able to pick people up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, they had a metal exoskeleton. Sorry, go ahead. I forgot. I'm sorry. Anyway, but they have a metal exoskeleton, so or internal skeleton. You were saying about Batman. Oh yeah, it reminded me of Batman. I was going somewhere with that because the scarecrow. The scarecrow. I don't remember. Oh, I, I remember where I was going. So like. That monster kind of... What didn't make sense is that you think Straw is invincible. Kind of like in the movie um, Trick or Treat, when, like, Sam was there and his arm got shot off, but it, like, found its way and he just made him invincible. Here, it's just like, oh, you can rip his arm off, but you shoot him in the stomach and he goes down. Like, what's the difference? I I feel like Sam was not actually made of straw at all in that movie. Well, you know what I'm trying um, to say. But I do think that it was sort of... I mean... He pulled the arm off, but we didn't see the arm get reconnected. I mean, if your so arm So he just, like, tight. injured one of his men for no reason. For effect. For effect. Nice. I think he put it back on. But also, they came back to life after they were shot down. Did they? Yeah, yeah. at yeah. least they were very resilient to bullets, much more than any random person. 
point B. They had to get shot many, many times, and mostly, you know, they had to have a flurry of bullets just to stop them from. Well, and also, I think that one scene where the bullets are all hitting them and they're very going down in slow motion, that was also kind of trying to tell a story of these kids that are going to go out into World War One. They're going to be actually doing that to real people in the very near future. And even though these are just strong men, it was giving you that concept of, oh my God, this so is like very close. Uh, especially exactly. when you see the look on John Smith's face when the one kid says, look, you know, they're made of straw. We didn't actually kill anyone. Yes. And he, he seems very relieved. But he, I mean, he, John Smith's not even shooting at that point. He actually goes through that, the horror of, okay, this is Yeah, he's just holding Well, well Joan helps him with that, too. Yes. She, she reminds him what John Smith would do, which is not, not fight. And that's when John Smith takes it into his own hands to get all the kids out of there. Yeah. It's, it's about time. Especially because he's the one who put them there to start with. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> what a good doctor would do, too. I yeah. mean, the, head, the headmaster was kind of the one that was, I think, really supportive of getting these kids ready for the war effort. Because he was a soldier himself. He understands, uh, he understands what it is like to be a soldier. At this point, John Smith does not because he's kind of lost his memories as to the warrior self that he used to be. Right. Almost kind of like a kid himself. There's a lot of, there's a lot of these intricate kind of uh, plot devices or, or little twists or little nu- nuances that really are kind of cool with this particular story. There's, there's a, it, whoever directed it, I should have it right here actually, directed by Charles Palmer, um, did a really good job of, with some of the camera work and, and, and working those scenes, especially the one I was just talking about where the, where the um, scarecrows, scarecrows are, are falling down. Um, in addition to some of those, you know, little twists in there, I also thought that there were some true, pure, you know, powerful moments in here, like when John Smith, you know, chooses to die instead of, you know, letting these horrible creatures go and kill others across the galaxy. And, you know, and his conversations with uh, Joan throughout it and then Joan meeting the doctor, the, you know, he was braver than you. Joan and John seeing what their lives would be like together, you know, staying in human form as well. That was pretty powerful. It was. It was very powerful. And... Yeah, I mean, it's not really something that the doctor can do because he's unwilling to ever, you know, settle down anywhere long enough. And also, you know, case in point where, you know, she asks him, could you change back? And he says, yes, will you? No. <laughs> that, was, that was definitely the doctor speaking, though. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like the doctor being like, no, I, I won't. <laughs> I think the doctor knows how important he is. Well, yeah, it's to just, you know... But it's true. I mean, the doctor considers, you know, his way of life to be more valid than other ways of life. Which, you know, and I would probably agree. Right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying that, you know, like, and whether or not he's wrong, he does believe that. Well, he also doesn't want to put the, I think also, I mean, he knows that he's a time lord. So I think if he reduces himself in his mind to that of a human, that that kind of takes away from, first of all, it takes away from Martha because now she's stuck there. But also, 
it takes away from anybody else he could potentially save. Or, oh, yeah, I mean, like, definitely. I mean, he, he needed to stay as the doctor. I'm he tried to have the like, best of both worlds. He invited Joe to come along. You know, there's some John Smith in it. Yeah. And, and a good start over again. Oh, man, that scene was so powerful. It was. She's like, like I, you know, right. John dead and you don't, <laughs> and you look like him. And that, then, yeah, and just, if you didn't come here, no one would have died. Such a tragic love story. It's a love story that can never be completely fulfilled. And then they had the whole montage when they're both holding onto the watch where they see their future. They see exactly what they could have been. Is there right. an echo in here? <laughs> oh, you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But honestly, what I thought it was a little bit more emotional was seeing Latimer in his elder age, you know, in his wheelchair, you know, getting a great honor, still clutching the watch. And he glimpses the doctor and Martha. That, that was a little bit of a tear-inducing moment for me, I'll admit. I mean, don't tell the audience, but I might have had some tears induced as well. <laughs> I, I do have to ask, though, why, why did he thank the doctor when he avoided the bomb? Like, it seems like it was his own psychic abilities that allowed him to do that. Well, the doctor's watch gave him the ability to know what time it was. See, that's why okay, I thought that that this, these psychic powers from the kid had a lot to do with the watch itself. Like him interacting with something that has been at the core of different time streams, I thought that that might have awarded him his psychic power. You, you could even make an argument that that's why he had psychic power earlier before this event, because it's interacting with his time stream. Ooh, you can see all these different things. Like, it, it really seemed like him holding the watch was what was inducing a lot of this power, just like John Smith and Joan holding the watch, let them see the future and have some sort of psychic prowess and ability. I can see that. Oh, I can that, actually, that actually see that. Yeah. That, makes mo that actually makes total sense. And it's almost like a foreshadowing when he, before he gets the watch, that he can actually have... Yeah, and if it had trickle back effects... Yeah, like, I don't know why this oh, happens. Cause, yeah. Because it hasn't happened to yeah. him yet. It's you The backwards causality has yet to occur. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Okay, that. yeah, that I think that you're right. It's <laughs> quite amazing. We all judged him. <laughs> At any rate, all right, so ratings. We should probably rate the first part, the second part, and then the whole. Whoo! That's a, that's a big endeavor. I feel like you're all looking at me, so as per usual, I will start us off here with the ratings. All right, human nature. You know what, I was actually impressed by this, and I always tend to rate, um, you know, first-parters lower, because there's a lot of mystery that's opened up, there's a lot of things that are mostly just set up, but I think this was a good episode that stands up on its own. Uh, we got a lot of interesting characters, a new scenario, a great monster of the week, some creepy vibes, and an awesome cliffhanger as well. Um, honestly, I said that I think this uh, got the story set up for success. In a lot of ways that traditionally I wouldn't be quite as interested, but it kept my attention well. I thought it was very interesting. Um, for me, human nature is getting a 9 out of 10. Coming into the family of blood, I think it was strong. I think it really kept going. It kept the pace. Um, it kept a good story. And, you know, it had some good life lessons, some tear-jerking moments. You know, we really saw another side of the doctor, another incarnation. It was great to see him as a human with one heart rather than two. You know, we didn't get to see the mysteries of what that did to his circular story system. 
you know, mm-hmm. his breadth capacity. Like that, that just had some interest in me. Um, but no, the, these two episodes, I think they work very well together. But um, for this second parter, I'm also going to give it a nine out of ten. I think it was also solid, a, a great story, a good continuation. Um, for me, I, I don't think this is necessarily a scenario where the two parts are greater than the whole. So as a whole story in a two-part episode, I'm going to stick with a 9 out of 10. All right. So I suppose it is my turn. So as far as the first part goes, I have the same issue with it I have for a lot of David Tennant stories where it's just, like, very goosebumpy and, like, cheesy, you know? And that just goes for, like, the really, like, kind of stupid-sounding music and, um, in my opinion, and, like, the camera angles and, like, the overacting of, like, the enemy with his, like, stupid little smirk the entire time. I just thought that was kind of cheesy and, like, very childlike. However, I did really like the um, the concept, like the air quote storyboard of it, like the actual idea behind it. You kind of start backwards and then you explain why they're in the predicament later on. Like I thought, you know, for example, Martha had no idea what was going on, but she knew this entire time. And then he falls in love and Martha's like, well, that's just a slap in the face. But as far as that one goes, just because it was very goosebumpsy, but it was a really cool idea. I think I'm going to go for a 7 as opposed to a Colin's 9. But as far as the second part goes, I absolutely loved it. Especially when he was faced with the dilemma of, I don't want to leave. Like, why would I want to be this lonely dude who kidnaps this random chick because he's lonely, who lives forever? Like, I'll never experience, like, my love that I have for you. Why can't I be real? And... It just really tugged at my heartstrings. Like, that was the first taste he ever got of being, air quote, normal, and he didn't want to go. It was, like, the opposite of, like, a regeneration. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I love that. That really, like, messed me up emotionally. And I was, like, speechless for a while. So I will probably give that um, actually a 10. Like, I really, really loved it. Like, I saw sides of the doctor I was not expecting. Usually, like, for example, Capaldi, like, in the episode with those weird thumb-looking things, they were like, just don't press the button and just walk away. I forgive you. Like, nothing bad needs to happen. And in this episode, David Tennant was like, okay, I'll give you what you want, but there's a twist. Like, he didn't have to do that. It was kind of, like, evil and very dark. And that's what kind of also shocked me. So he went from, like, crying. He went from him being in a relationship and not even considering that he could love someone. Then he goes to torturing these people for all eternity just because I thought that was really screwed up. But yeah, I gave that a 10. I gave the other one a 7. Overall, I get this entire story now. All right. So for the first part, um, I would say I actually, I really liked the way they decided to um, tell the story just because from... John Smith's perspective, that's where it starts, really. Mm-hmm. Because this is the story of how he met the love of his life. And, of course, it starts at the beginning right there. And he doesn't know about any of the other stuff, so I thought it was kind of uh, perfect in that sense. I thought that really 
just so much of the intrigue came through in this. I liked how in this first part you figure out, you know, what's actually going on, which gives them more time to expand in the second part. And I just thought that, you know, all of the dilemmas that people had to go through in this, especially uh, Martha in the first part, were just, you know, really powerful and, um, and interesting. I was gripped the whole time. But, as you just pointed out, there were some cheesy moments in it, for sure. Like, um, and I thought, you know, in and of itself, like Bane, Banes or whatever, like, when he was, you know, just kind of a jerk to everyone constantly, like, in every possible way, like, that kind of worked. And then when he was, like, the sniveling, scared teenager you know, that kind of worked, but there didn't seem to be a good transition between the two because it wasn't like he, you know, like he started acting like weird and like kind of childish and like scared and timid, like before he actually encountered the aliens. And it was just kind of, that was a little jarring. That said, other than that one scene, I thought his whole part was, was good. So I'm a little torn on them. Um, I'm going to give this one a nine. Um, for the second part, I thought that just the ending and all of, you know, the things that, that the Dr. John Smith and everyone really had to go through at the end was uh, pretty amazing. I thought Martha was a great star in it. Uh, I just uh, feel like I, I really appreciate stories that have great character development and a great plot. You don't often get both. And... Yeah, I mean, what the Doctor did was brutal, and I think it really shows, I mean, that this Doctor does change pretty drastically, even though his personality stays kind of upbeat and, and goofy, his, you know, actions are get, you know, really dark and, you know, repeatedly throughout, and I think that's just kind of an intriguing um, aspect to him. I'm going to give this second part a 10, and I'm going to give the whole story a 10. I kind of predicted that, so I did say. Mm -hmm. um, just so you all know, this story actually was a novel written by Paul Cornell, who actually also wrote the screenplay. What? Yeah, this was a novel that involved the Seventh Doctor that was written in the 1990s. Huh. Um, this was adapted for David Tennant's Doctor uh, in the series, and because uh, they thought that it was a, such a strong story, and it was very and such a cool concept, it was a very good concept. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, I've already rated this episode, so I feel like it'd be kind of pointless to re-rate it. But you can rate it as like a new with mindset. fresh eyes. You know, different different you're older. I thought my opinion didn't matter. Like I was obviously old. Michael's opinion doesn't matter. You've been reborn, and this opinion is valued, and we want to hear it. Yeah, like your six-year-old Michael opinion is going to be different than your forty-five-year-old Michael opinion. In a I few would... years, isn't going to is the same thing. True. Good point. Yep. I, I see that. I have a point. Yay. <laughs> um, no, the first episode by far um, was a, probably one of the best setups yet um, from episode, from series one to now, uh, other than The Empty Child. I think that was obviously a good one, too. Um, the first episode I easily grant a 9 out of 10 for. Um, I didn't find it cheesy per se because I think where I think 
where some of the cheese factor might come in for you guys, I thought it was more spooky. I think I think the way that the actors played this. So off, would you say goosebumpsy? No, <laughs> I didn't find it as goosebumpy, goosebumpsy, whatever you want to call it, as as you did. I think this was this had more of an air of just dread and horror, and I liked that about it. Now I, it was granted aimed probably more at a younger age level, but I still thought that it was done much better than anything that Goosebumps had put out on television. Um, with that said, it was the second part that really, I think, touches the heartstrings. Here's the Doctor who has only one heart, yet the entire episode has more heart than pretty much anything that has come before. And I think that, in of itself, garners the 10 out of 10 that I would give it. Um, the ending is, is truly touching when Tim's character comes in at the end in his wheelchair. That was, that was totally perfect. Um, and kind of gives you an idea of how big this story really was. Um, overall, this gets a 10 out of 10. I mean, the whole story concept, the I can only imagine what it would be like to read the novel... I don't have it, but I'm sure we could find it somewhere. <laughs> you were, you had a point about the parents, um, that the doctor claims his parents. Oh, yes. There was a, another scene where uh, the doctor fixes the, um, well, actually, he's in John Smith form. Right. And he fixes the scarecrow and talks about his mother and father. And his, he says that his father is Sidney. That's a reference to Sidney Newman, who was the creator of Doctor Who. He brought yeah. up the concept of William Hartnell's first Doctor and Susan and Ian and Barbara. That's fine. Um, he also, and then he goes on to say that his mother, Verity, um, was a nurse. Was a nurse. And in fact, Verity Lambert was the first female producer of Doctor Who. She was also the first producer of Doctor Who. And why did you say female? Well, it was significant in the fact that she was also, the, I believe, the very first female producer in the BBC. Oh. Um, or at least one of the very first. She was. She was. Uh, she had a groundbreaking role in, in bringing women into um, the BBC at, in a very strong role. She did a phenomenal job Good back in 1963 her. with such a big show, and she was. A lot of the success to the series probably rides on her shoulders. Um, granted, she had a lot of major decisions to make, and she made them. With that said, um, yeah, that was a real. That's kind. Of, there's a lot of history in this in this episode in that regard. Not to mention the Journal of Impossible Things that kind of really has a lot of what's gone on in the Doctor's past, which I kind of like. Have you read it? I have not read it, no. I do have it, though, so if you'd like to read it... Yeah. <laughs> I can certainly bring it over sometime. Oh, one thing I wanted to point out, and I don't know why this one just really struck me, is, like, this, there was a scene in the, uh, at the dance where Mother of Mine is just like, she didn't go very nicely, all that, ah, screaming or whatever. She, like, that line just, like, seems like it was such a difficult line, and she made it so creepy. I just thought that, that was like a phenomenal moment that just really struck me. Yeah, that's why I was thinking it was there. Had a, it, there definitely was a creep factor in all this. Oh, for sure. I think it was mostly son of mine. That actor mostly did a good job, but kind of 
went into a little bit of overacting. Overkill. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that we probably missed in analyzing as a whole was just Jace's, uh, what Jace brought up in his rating that it's really a dark turn, you know, just to have, I think it was son of mine, that, like, I, we finally realized why the doctor would hide from us. He was trying to be kind. <laughs> and then you see him take the turn, you know, into, you know, the, the kind of darkness of living forever in a hellish landscape. And fostering that, you know, through this, you know, healer of worlds that we know as the Doctor. Tim has that wonderful speech towards the end where he says, I've seen him, and he's like fire and ice and rage, and that kind of and he's coincides. Wonderful. And he's wonderful, yeah. And that coincides with that quite beautifully. It kind of reminds me of the first Matt Smith episode you watched, Shelby, where what does the word Doctor mean? Oh, yeah. like war. Like, he can, like, start wars without shedding a single drop of blood or something. Like, the doctor's many things. Yeah. You know what it kind of reminds me of, and this is, again, jumping into the future, um, into season four, or maybe technically season three, that it's Christmas special, or... No, we already have done it. That's right. Eh. Uh, where Donna's like, I, you know, you need someone to stop you because the doctor, like, destroys all the Rackmas children. That's actually the, this yeah, the, the, the beginning the, of this season. Yeah, this beginning of the season, so yeah. <laughs> that one. The Doctor Who timeline for me has been, like, wibbly wobbly since I started, like, watching Doctor Who for the past yeah. two years. Oh, yeah. And it's just, like, I don't know when this happened or this has always been something about the Doctor where he just, like, has a moment and he just, like, does something like this. And then he's, like, the next second, like, I'm just trying to be kind and be the bit better person. And I'm not good, and I'm not bad. I'm just bleh. It's yeah. very like Rick and Morty kind of. But, yeah. <laughs> like, when did that happen? Like, sometimes he just goes through this like, Sometimes he doesn't. As the audience were in the TARDIS, you know, and and from time to time, just coming into Doctor Who in these different places, we're traveling through different times. You know what I, I I feel like would be interesting and like extremely like borderline impossible to actually pull off, but to like go through and watch all of Doctor Who chronologically from the point of view of Earth. Like, our like actual real timeline. So, like, whichever Doctor visited, you know, the year 1963, that all happens then. And then, like, whenever a Doctor comes back and visits, you know, 100 B.C., you see that first. And then you see 102 B.C., and then you see 100... That would be fun, not a huge coherent story. No, yeah, but it would just like, I wonder what that would look like if you just like, so steal Doctor Who. What we should do is just rise everyone from like the dead that has died in like 1913 and get them to watch the episode. Easy. <laughs> I'm sold. Wow. Stop by a witch shop. <laughs> well, everyone, hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hooven Review. You can follow us on Facebook if you haven't been already. And, and Instagram. And Instagram, and uh, we will be looking forward to talking with you again next week. Bye. See ya. Goodbye. Adios. Peace. Peace.